You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Chris Donald, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, it's so good to have you on the program today. It's an honor to be here. I was introduced to you by a dear friend and was fascinated, actually blown away by your testimony and how you came to Christ at 18. I would love for you to share that story and then what has happened since then. It's been a whirlwind, hasn't it? It sure has been, yeah. I would love to share it. I actually share this story daily with people as I meet them. So I grew up in a small town in Woodland, Washington. It's growing now. It's it's kind of a bedroom community to Portland, Oregon. So when we're out and about, we tell people that we're from Portland because that's about a, a city that's about 35 minutes away. And I grew up on a dairy farm and, and grew up in a loving family that loved God, but went to a church that was a little bit more conservative. And so the things of the Spirit were not talked about. You know, I didn't experience expressive worship they loved God the best that they knew how. And so they were, you know, they'd sing out of hymns and there'd be the organ. And uh, I never fought with my mom going to church. That was just what we did growing up. And I knew about him. And I think, you know, if you would have asked me at that time, if I was a believer, I would have said yes. But the reality was, you know, I knew about God. I didn't know him personally. So when I was 18, I actually had a, a girlfriend that lived in another city, actually across the Columbia River from me. And I was not the smartest of, of young men. I had multiple girlfriends at the same time. <laughs> and it's a pretty bad uh, story, actually. And so my friends came to me and they confronted me because they cared about me and they cared about my girlfriend. And, and I had decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. I thought I was going to change. And so I made some adjustments in my life. But one of my friends went and, and told my girlfriend at the time that I'd been not a good boyfriend. And so, of course, she came to my house and, and she, you know, broke the relationship off. And at age 18, you know, that was a very major deal in my life because she was definitely an idol in my life. And three days went by. And uh, after three days going by, I heard news that she had gotten back together with an ex-boyfriend. And it was in the evening and I was very upset. And I was outside and I was, I'll never forget it, I was outside of my parents' house on the farm. And I was pacing back and forth in the driveway, and my dad, you know, just was trying to help me, love me. He he didn't really know what to do at that moment, so he said, "Why don't you go inside and try to read the Bible?" And up to that point, I had never really read the Bible personally. You know, I would read the Bible in you know in like in Sunday morning Bible study, but I really couldn't read. I've always struggled with English with reading, mm. and the Bible that they read at that time was the King James version which made it even more difficult. And I can remember being young and sitting in Bible studies, and I would be in so much fear that, they, that they're going to pick me to read a scripture, and I couldn't put two words together. To, so my cousin would read it, and then I would repeat it. Wow. So there was just this, there was this relationship I had with the Word of God that was not existent at that time. So I went in, and I, I did what my father said. I opened up the Bible, and I was just frustrated. It the Bible appeared to be blurry, probably because I was upset. And I closed the Bible. And when I closed it, I was going to stand up and and go to that city and find this guy and hurt him. 
But at that moment that I was going to stand up, my hand actually supernaturally got stuck to the Bible. Really? Um, yes, it's it's a pretty amazing testimony. And, you know, I say this often when I share this around the world that, you know, we serve a God of the supernatural and you can't remove the supernatural from the Bible or you don't have it. And mm. God is still very supernatural today. And he saved me in such a supernatural, beautiful way. And actually, when my hand got stuck to the Bible, my eyes, my mother will tell you, actually rolled back in my head and another voice came out of my mouth and my mom freaked out. And uh, she ran in the, the other room, grabbed my keys, came back in and sat on the floor. And, and my dad went down to the dairy farm to see my grandfather. And so she called my dad. He came back quickly. And within an hour, my uncle was there. And it was, it was pretty awful, the things that I was saying, what was coming out of my mouth and, and a different voice. And my parents at that time, they didn't know necessarily what to do. They didn't have the tools or they weren't equipped. To, to deal with this. This isn't something, you know, we heard about these stories from the mission field, but they never thought that one of those stories would be sitting in their living room really, as their son. And so they ended up remembering, or in that moment, that my good friend, Casey, his dad, pastored the the Holy Spirit-filled crazy church in town. <laughs> you know, the church, the church that believes in the supernatural, the church that believes in casting out demons and healing the sick. And we oftentimes, you know, write those churches off until we're in need. Mm. And then we call those churches. So late at night, it was around 11, they they dialed up Pastor Scott and Lori Shang, and, and, they, and they said, hey, can you please come? You know, Chris is in trouble. And he, thank God, he dropped everything that he was doing. And uh, him and his wife came. And, you know, at this point, I could go into great detail. I don't think it's too important, but I, I do want to share. He, he walked in, in real authority because I knew that that spirit knew that when Pastor Scott got there, that it was over. And I actually looked at my dad and I said, if I try to run, hold me down, because this demon knows. I would go in and out of the demon speaking and me speaking. And, and I said, this thing knows that when he gets here, it's over. Wow. And uh, he walked in and and I didn't know what to expect. You know, I had watched horror movies or, you know, different things. I didn't have a grid. I hadn't read the book of Acts to see how simple deliverance actually is. And he just walked in lovingly and put a chair in front of me, and he began to pray for me. He asked me what it was, and I said, well, you know, it's the alcohol, the pornography, the relationships. And he, he just went a little bit deeper, and we went down to my room, and we took everything out of my room that was that, that represented bad things or, or was a gateway to open doors. And he threw it all in the trash. And, and the last part of that story I want to highlight is we actually went back upstairs, and they were going to pray for me one more time. And I heard a voice. So for people that are listening to this, I understand hearing voices. I heard a voice that wasn't mine. And it said, as soon as these pastors leave, we're going to go do what we're assigned to do. And I had no power to say anything. But Pastor Lori heard the voice of God. And she pulled her hand back and she said, it's not gone yet. And I really believe that wow. in that moment when she heard the Holy Spirit, I, I believe that it changed the course of my life. That's why I'm so passionate about hearing the voice of God and partnering with God. And they asked my parents, they said, hey, we, we know that you guys don't pray in the Holy Spirit. We want to honor you, but can we pray in the Spirit over your son? They said, you can do whatever you want. And uh, they prayed over me, prayed in the Spirit, and I got supernaturally delivered. And that night at age 18, I fell asleep in my mom's arms on the couch. And and I woke up the next day and I felt I felt new. Then the, the last part of this testimony is three months went by. 
And, you know, they began to tell me about the Holy Spirit and they had excitement and they had zeal. And, you know, they, they, they did this in all the, the, for all the right reasons. You know, they were trying to get me baptized in the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. And, and I, I'm a dairy farmer and I, I, you know, I was, I was brought up that those things were not of God. And so I had a lot of religious strongholds, even at age 18. My take was, listen, if it's God, it's going to be God. If it's not, I don't want it. And so I, I actually ended up getting invited to my first conference. It was in Seattle, Washington, three months after being born again. There was a preacher there named T.D. Jakes. We were actually in the overflow room. There was 10,000 people in the, in the main auditorium. We were in a room of about three to 400. And he said, the Holy Spirit's here. And again, I'd never been in a in an environment like this before in my life. Nobody touched me. Nobody pushed me over. People witnessed this. I fell on the ground backwards. I hit the ground and I began to pray. I would use the word violently. I prayed violently, passionately in the spirit for the first time. And I heard the voice of God, not audibly, but I heard the voice of God in my spirit say, you're going to travel the world, preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. And at that moment, I didn't know any of that was possible. I'd never read the book of Acts before. <laughs> so I stood up off the ground and, and I would repeat that phrase over and over and over again. And I'd say, I'm going to travel the world and preach the gospel. And then when I began to read the Bible, I began to discover that as born again believers are called to do the, the works that Jesus did on the earth. And I began to get excited because I realized that what he spoke to me was in his word. And a prophet came along right after that and said, in five years, a man will come to your church, sit down next to you and ask you to travel the world with him. And uh, from that point on, I, I'd gone to Bible college for two years, but then it seemed like I was going backwards from what I thought the call was mm -hmm. on my life. I worked at a feed store. I worked pressure washing. I worked in crawl spaces. I worked on the dairy farm, construction, all different kinds of things. And if you would have asked me at that time, what are you going to do? I'd say, I'm going to travel the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. And it was just a, a season of testing and, and God working things out in my life. And five years to the weekend, a man came and, and said, I think you're supposed to travel the world with me. And that opened up my wife and I traveling to around 30 nations from Japan to China to, to Romania to all over Asia, South America, Africa, all, all over the world, seeing God work. Mm. in powerful ways. And, and now here I am sitting in the midst of that prophetic word. So that's my, my testimony. It gets me emotional even sharing, with, sharing it with you today because it's, it just reminds me of, again of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. How many years ago did this start, the traveling, Chris? Well, I was born again at 18. So it was around 2023 20, was when I really began to, to travel. I did do some trips before that. But it really opened up around 23, 24 years old. Okay. And so how many years did you do that? So I actually did that from that point to, the, to where I am today. There was a couple seasons where I, I needed to stay home and steward things that God had given me, whether it be helping pastor a church or helping lead a school. And so there were seasons where it slowed down some, but since that moment, I've been traveling consistently, actually, in on Tuesday. So in six days, I'll be getting on an airplane to fly to the Middle East to be in Iraq. And so then I'll be back home and heading to Brazil. So wow. it's been my, my life since that, but I've had slower times and then times where I'm traveling more consistently. So help me understand, when you go travel, like, for example, when you go to the Middle East, what's your role? What do you do? You know, my role has changed 
over the course of 12 years. I feel like my first five or six years, it was more so about me learning. And so God would connect me with amazing missionaries that would teach me. And now now my role is beginning to change. I know my lane is prayer, evangelism, and discipleship. That's my that's my lane. That's what I'm called to. So we'll travel into whether it be Japan or Iraq. We we want to as a ministry equip the everyday believer to win the lost and make disciples daily. And so as a as a fivefold evangelist, which I've I've not wanted to receive that title for a long time, but everybody tells me that I am. I know that I'm called to a, the Christian to live a full time Christian life of sharing their faith and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when we go this next week, we'll be doing a believers conference over three days in three different locations where we're equipping Muslim background believers. We're equipping them with tools, but also praying for them to receive a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit to go out and to make impact. And then I don't just preach about it. We actually take people out on the street and we model for them. So last time I was there was about six months ago. There was a man who who had an encounter with Jesus, who was a Muslim background believer. And Jesus spoke to him and said, he actually said, I'm the son of God. Obey me and tell others about me. And for two years, he hadn't done that. And so I had the honor of taking him out and and showing him what that looks like. And And at one point, as I was out with him, he was translating for me. I'm sharing with these two individuals on the street. I turned and I and I said, I said, and now my friend is going to share his testimony with you. But he didn't translate it. He looked at me and he says, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> and uh, about three minutes later, I finally convinced him to share his testimony. It was it was quite funny. We were in an argument. I'm sure the people that we were talking to were confused. But then he shared his faith and it unlocked something in him. And the rest of the night, I just followed him around as he shared the gospel. So we go, we pray, we equip, and then we take them out. And we activate them in things in the things of evangelism. I understand you've seen some mind blowing miracles over the years, haven't you? Yes, I have. Please share a couple that spring to mind. Yeah, there's there's one that it just it's marked me, and it was when I was younger, probably now about eight years ago. We had the opportunity to go to Romania, and and we went in there, and we were we were speaking at a it was a worship school, but they were a bunch of young adults and and some adults, but a lot of people around 18, 19, 20. And I was telling these stories from around the world and and they said, okay, show us. And so I was like, all right. So we went out on the street and the first person that we walked up to was a man sitting on a park bench. And and there was about 15 people kind of following, which I wouldn't do it that way today. We were going to go out in smaller groups and but I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And so we get out there and, and I begin to talk to this guy and he's not responding back. And so there's a translator talking to a person signing and signing to this guy and he's, and he's deaf and mute. And I'm like, oh man, why couldn't it have been a headache? You know, why right. couldn't it be a bad knee? You know, <laughs> but it was so far beyond, you know, what I could do in my own strength. And thankfully, this man said, hey, can you come back in a couple hours? And I was like, absolutely, we'll come back and we'll pray for you. And at the time that we talked to him, he was in more so street clothes. We came back with a smaller group about two hours later, and he was sitting there in a suit and tie. And he began to tell us, I know this story doesn't even seem real when I when I share it because it's so supernatural. He he began to tell us that two weeks before we came, that God, and he wasn't a believer in Jesus or a Christian, but he had a belief in God. God had spoken to him and told him to sit on that park bench because he was sending a man to heal him. Wow. And so when he saw me, 
And and the group that I was with, he knew this was it. And so he went and put on his best clothes. The words came out of my mouth, the, the nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. One is the gift of faith, where you're operating in a faith that's beyond what your measure of faith is. And this word came out of my mouth, you're going to be healed. And I wanted to put that word back in my mouth because <laughs> it was so beyond what I had seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we prayed and and I actually witnessed dry blood, like a ball, roll out of his ears, both ears. And he spoke for the first time in 50 years. I thought that, and he heard for the first time, I thought that he would be exuberant and just excited. And, you know, he wasn't. He was shocked. Mm-hmm. And so he went home and we we met up with him the next day and he said, where are you going? And now he's excited. He's saying, I, I heard the wind blow. I, 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 was, I watched TV and could hear it, but I could hear cars passing by, car radios. Now he was beginning to get excited. He said, where, where are you going? And I said, well, we're going to go baptize some people. He said, I want to be baptized. So we took him down to the river. We baptized him. And then we ended up going to a, this is in Timișoara in Romania. We ended up going to the square and we just began to worship. And, and he was there and there was a large crowd of people. And I stood up on a water feature kind of thing and just yelled out with an interpreter, you know, God has healed this man. Many of you have known him and uh, God will do the same for you. And they begin to come, and a four-year-old received her hearing and spoke for the first time, and mm. miracles begin to break open. And he actually told us that night that when he was four years old, that he was dropped on his head, and his father, that he was knocked unconscious, and medical was not what it is today. And his father actually went and buried him, thinking that he was dead. Whoa. But he was not dead. And his mom, two or three days later, went, it's a true story, and dug him up because she knew by the by the Holy Spirit that he was alive. So from that moment, from four years old to 54 years old, he was traumatized. And 50 years later, God came and set him free. Incredible. Man. And I'm sure as people are hearing this, one of the things that springs to my mind as a question is, you know, that challenge you receive from the students, well, okay, go show us. And you went out with 15 people and found this guy. What went through your mind when they said, show us? You know, that challenge is brought forth. Was there any sense of concern or was there just a sense of, okay, I'm not concerned yeah. about it? What did you think? What did you feel? That's a wonderful question. You know, so for me, I think about David and, he, you know, he killed the lion and he killed the bear. And so for me, I, what I found in my journey with God is that as we go, we grow. And as we grow, we begin to truly know God in a in a new way. And so when I got activated in evangelism, I shared my faith every day. So I when I preach often, I, I tell people, you know, why why would God send you to Africa to preach the gospel if you don't preach the gospel at Walmart? And so I had I had for years, you know, up to that point, maybe two or three, four years, consistently seen the hand of God move. Now when they said, let's go, there was an element of, okay, but I, what I did was is I remembered what God had done up to that point. And I know that God is faithful. And I know that he says that we're to go and we're to make disciples. And Daniel Kalinda, an evangelist, made, made a statement that has stuck with me for years. He said, working miracles is the easiest part of his job because he can't do it. God does. And so there's an element of, of consistency over time and of growing and of trust in who God is. And then there is just this radical risk and faith in saying, God, I'm going to get out there on the limb, and I just believe that you're going to show up. And I think it was multiple of those things. 
But over my, you know, over the course of my journey with God the past 14, 15 years, I have seen that God has put me in situations that are bigger than the situation before. Mm. And he's growing me in godliness and growing me in faith. And so I, I was prepared for it, but it was still out of my comfort zone. <laughs> One of the words I wrote down was the word that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, the pastor who came from that, quote, crazy church in town when you were 18, walked in authority. Yes. And that word keeps bubbling up as, as I'm listening to you. Let's talk about our authority for a moment. Please share your heart about that. Absolutely. So when it comes to the kingdom of God and when it comes to any aspect of whether we're talking about evangelism, whether we're talking about giving, whether we're talking about prayer, whether we're talking about worship, you know, there is a dynamic in the kingdom of God that goes from theory to reality. What I mean about that is, is Jesus says, he says, my doctrine is not my own. It's from him who sent me the father. And he says, if you want to know that what I say is true, he says, do it, do my will. So there's an aspect of doing. So when you go into Matthew, um, you go into Matthew 5 and 6, he says, when you pray, pray this way. He says, when you fast, fast this way. When you give, give this way. It doesn't say if, it says when. So everything in the Christian life is meant to not be theory or strategy. It's meant to be action and walked out. And so what I found, and I'm going to speak to the Western church, what I found is, is that we have such an intellectual faith. And so let's just take the topic of prayer for a moment. You know, we, we listen to a great message on prayer and our heart stirs. I call it holy heartburn. And then we get, we get stirred in prayer. And so then we go, okay, I'm going to read a book on prayer. And so we read a book on prayer and our hearts burning. And we think that that is the encounter with God, but really that is an invitation to an encounter with God. There, there comes a point when you have to go into the secret place, shut the door and meet with the God in secret. There comes a, a point when when you actually have to fast. There comes a point when you actually have to give. And if all you do is study and learn and talk and strategize and don't do, then all you have is theory. And with theory, there's no authority. But when you begin to actively do the will of God, there is a there is a authority that comes on your life where heaven backs you because you're actually doing God's will. You're not talking about it. And we have a lot of Christians in the body of Christ that know a lot, but actually have never seen God move in their life. And so they live in theory land and not in authority land. And even last night, we were doing a prayer gathering and we're getting ready to to launch a a prayer, outreach, and discipleship movement here in, in the Northwest in two different locations. And and as we were praying in authority, a woman in the back of the church ran to the front of the church and began to manifest a demon and curse me out, cuss me out. Wow. And I just said to this lady, I said, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. It's going to be okay. You're, you're manifesting a demon right now. And she got delivered in a moment. But it's because there's real authority on my life because I really do something. Yeah. I don't just talk about it. So for me, when I think authority, I think you're actually doing something with what you know. And as you go, you will grow in authority and you will begin to see the kingdom of God and that reality happen around you all the time versus just reading books about it. As people desire to step into that 
and to actually just do what they know the Lord is prompting them to do, no doubt there's a measure of fear. And how do you instruct people to overcome that? Just do it with the fear? That's a great question. So to me, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So it starts with renewing your mind. What the enemy wants is the enemy wants you to think that you're fearful, but you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you if you're a born-again believer. And if you're spirit-filled, you're clothed with the power and the authority of heaven. And so what I do is, is I tell people what the Word of God says, and then I help people understand that fear is actually an outside voice, not an inside voice. So when you're getting ready to step out, and we've all experienced this, we've been in a worship service where heaven comes and we feel what I call the Samson anointing, like we could we could change the world. Yeah. And then we step out and God says, go talk to that person over there, and we feel fear grip us. What I've understood is, is that fear is actually a demonic spirit that stands between us and our destiny. And so when I feel or sense fear, I don't identify with it. I actually see it as an invitation to crush hell. Come on. And that changes your perspective. But a lot of Christians, they look inward and they go, oh, no, I'm fearful. No, oh, no, you are filled with the power and the presence of God. That The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is on the inside of you. Fear is a demonic strategy to stop you from walking out the kingdom of God on earth. So you'll never stop feeling fear. But when you recognize it for what it is, you'll step right through it and you will rescue people out of darkness and bring them into the, into the kingdom of God when you learn how to fight and war against it. So it's almost like let that voice of fear, that feeling of fear be your guide as to what you should do. That sounds crazy, but that's what I do. I get it. I'm thinking of a book called The War of Art, and the key element in that book is let resistance be your guide. In other words, whatever is keeping you from fulfilling what you're supposed to do, what you're called to do, wherever you feel resistance around that, let that guide you. Yes. I remember years ago when I was traveling in sales, I would get into my hotel. I'm thinking of an example in Kansas City right now. And my whole purpose was to go witness to somebody before dinner. And I would go, I went to a mall (laughs) this one night and there's about seven skinheads in the mall all hanging out together. And I walk up to them and my modus operandi, which I don't even know if it was appropriate or not, but I went up to them and I said, hey, you guys, if you were to die right now, do you know where you'd go, heaven or hell? And about four of them looked at me like I was crazy. The other four looked at me like, huh, never thought of that. And I said, form a circle right now and grab my hands. We're going to pray. And they're like, what? And I said, seriously, get up now. Do this now. <laughs> I was so intense. And they, they all form a circle. I pray with them to receive Christ. And then not more than a minute later, two of them all police walk up to me and they said, you're going to have to leave. You're bothering our patrons. And I said, if you were to die right now, where would you go? <laughs> Heaven or hell? And one of the guys was, was very concerned. Anyway, that's kind of how I rolled early on. And I have not done that for quite some time. Not that that's necessarily the best approach, but uh, you know, it was one of those adrenaline rushes and I really felt yeah. led to do it. So anyway, I thought it would be appropriate to share, and, share that. <laughs> and God, God will use, you know, as we're growing, you know, mm-hmm. God will use any and everything we do with a good heart. Right. 
thankfully. And, and your and your heart, your heart was right, and God uses that. And it's the the example of as you go, you grow, mm-hmm. and you and you step into understanding maybe more effective or more better ways to do it. But that that story just makes my day. I just laugh when I think about it. I've got many more like that, but I love what you're sharing. And I'm blown away by the story in Romania. Share another uh, miracle story, if you would, please. Yeah, so we had an open door to go to Iraq. And I've known for a while that there's been a call of God on my life for the Middle East. And and this, this story, I've been back since, but this was the first trip that we went there. And we have a contact there, an American who's been there for six years. He was actually there when Mosul, the stronghold for ISIS, was still the stronghold for, my, for ISIS. And he was going into the city when it was half liberated, sharing. And, and you know, fighter jets were flying over him. So he's, he's sold out for the gospel. And when we got there, you know, we had a certain amount of money and we were looking to have impact, not just within the church, but also to do outreach. And there was a contact that he had that was a Muslim background believer who actually, he had a vision of Jesus while he was sleeping and he got led to the Lord in, in a night vision. And he began to tell people and he was twice, they twice attempted to kill him and they twice threw him in a cemetery. And the, the second time was even more difficult. They actually cut him open and his intestines were out of his body and a man wrapped him up and put him on his feet and he walked to the emergency room and they said how are you alive and he said let me tell you about Jesus wow. and i asked him i said to him i said what did he look like what did jesus look like he said he looked like every man in one man mm. and i just thought oh my gosh and so this man o- opened up a door for us to actually go to a mosque and share the gospel and and that's pretty radical and yeah. we don't know if we don't know if this has been done before you know in this way and so we're driving down this street and i remember asking the question i remember it like it was yesterday i said hey how dangerous is this we're in a big band and and i said actually don't don't answer that question <laughs> and and you know i i've never experienced this before or after but when i stepped out of that van at the entrance of this mosque, I felt the Holy Spirit come around me like a blanket. And I was at perfect peace. We walked in and and uh, we really felt to, to lead off with, with word of knowledge, which is a gift that I've walked in for years, just hearing God's voice and then praying for people. And so I, I stepped up and I, you know, there's about three, 400 people. And, and I call out this word of knowledge and this lady in the third row stands up. And when she stood up, she fell over immediately. And when she stood back up from her encounter with God, she was completely restored and healed Mm. of all of her sickness and disease. And there were these men in the back of the mosque. They were mocking us. And the guy that brought us in was standing by the back door because I don't think he knew how it was going to end. Like he he had an escape plan. And they began to say, our hands are hot. Our hands are hot. What's happening? And the, the man who was the Muslim background believer said, well, that's the Holy Spirit. And so then he instructed these Muslim leaders to begin to lay hands on people. And they begin to lay hands on people and pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And through <laughs> Muslim hands, miracles began to break out and people were being healed, which created an open door for the gospel. My friend got up and shared the gospel beautifully. And to our understanding, again, it's hard to fully understand what happens in those moments because follow-up is very difficult. 
To our understanding, they heard the gospel, and many, if not all, raised their hand to pray. Now, again, I can't tell you what that means fully. That is really up to God. Follow-up is not that easy, as you can imagine. As all this was happening, if if you know this about mosques, they broadcast this throughout the city through speakers. And so everything we were saying was being broadcast off speakers into the city and village. And, and they were actually FaceTime-living it. And so this was spreading, and people were showing up saying, why are these Christians here? What is happening? God protected us. You know, we got in the van, and, and I said, okay, how dangerous was that? And the man says, that was 12 out of 10. <laughs> and what happened was, is the leaders got very upset. I remember watching a man leave. He was so mad. And they called, and they said, how dare you do this to the guy that took us in there? And it's a very honor and shame-based culture. And so... And, and the guy said back to him, how dare you? You asked them if they were believers, if they were Christians, which they did, you know, their honoring thing that they did. And because you asked that, you gave them the right to, to share their faith. And so he turned it on them supernaturally. And the man said, I've talked to their leader. And he was talking about Jesus. He didn't tell him that. I've talked to their leader. And he said, you need to open up more of these mosques for our friends to come and share. And so because through Holy Spirit wisdom, it turned on them and this Muslim man began to open up more events. And so they had done three or four more since then where miracles have broken out because there's a supernatural door there. And so that story sticks out as one that that was stretching. That was one of the most difficult, I I, I guess I would say scary um, situations I've been in, but I felt perfect peace as as God was there with us in his power. What is one of the primary messages that you have to other believers in the Western church right now? My primary message is the original call never changed. And and I believe that we hire pastors, we we support ministries and 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 that's great and it's good and we need pastors and we need to support ministries, but there comes a point where the everyday believer needs to understand the call and begin to influence their realm and sphere of influence. And so my message is really helping attack two lies within the body of Christ that keep people from stepping out and being used by God and being a witness. Because what I help people understand is the original call never changed, and and you are a witness, whether you think you're witnessing or not. We don't do witnessing. We Our life is a witness. And two lies that stop us from sharing are number one is I'm not an evangelist, right? I'm not a street evangelist. And we're not asking people to be street evangelists. We're asking people to be witnesses and to simply be in love with Jesus and to share him with people as they go. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a street evangelist. I'm a, I'm a coffee shop evangelist. I'm a basketball evangelist. I'm a dirt bike evangelist. You know, I share everywhere I go. And then the second thing that I, I come to try to help people understand is, is people say often, I'm not gifted like you. And what I help them understand is, is that they, they are gifted. They are gifted with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at me and you say, well, Chris is gifted and I'm not gifted, you're actually discrediting the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers you and equips you to do the work of ministry that you're called to do. And so I help believers understand that God wants to empower them and equip them to do the work of ministry. And that I believe that as an evangelist, 
It's my call to equip them to do the work of ministry. It's not my call to minister to them. So that's really what we're, what we're doing and we're trying to accomplish within the body of Christ. And we're seeing weekly people catch it and people begin to run with it. I just had a guy this morning who's on a job site text me who was with me last night in a prayer gathering. He said, I was, I was at a place and we were picking up material. I got a word of knowledge and I prayed for somebody and I shared the gospel with him. And this is just a, a person that's out doing construction today. Yeah. And that's my passion in life is to see that happen. How can people find out more about you? So we have a, a website, 33rdcompany.org, and they can go there. And we actually have a lot of teaching and, and a lot of equipping. We, we have a, an Instagram and a Facebook that is all about equipping the everyday believer to win the lost and to make disciples daily. So we're putting videos out and we're doing our best to equip people daily uh, in, in that way. And then I actually accidentally wrote a book. It just kind of happened. <laughs> and it's not its not fancy. There's no cover. There's no Audible yet. You know, there's no physical book, but you can go on our website. You can find that book and download it for free. And that really, in that book, it gives the secret, I call it the secret sauce of what makes us successful in our ministry to see people one to the Lord daily. And I, I believe it will bless the body of Christ. I love it. So 33RD, 33rdcompany.org, right? Yep. All right. Yes. As we finish, Chris, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yes. Yeah, Father, we just come to you, Lord, and I thank you for all the people that are listening right now. God, I pray that you would come, Lord, and you'd fill their hearts with compassion. You'd fill their hearts with the love of God, Lord, because compassion is what will move them to boldness. Father, I, play, I pray that you'll fill their hands with miracles and signs and wonders. God, I pray that you'd fill their hands with power because the kingdom of God is at hand. And God, I pray that they would be like, like them at the gate called beautiful as they, as they say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. God, I pray that you'd fill their hands with power miracles, signs, and wonders. And Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally fill their mouths with the gospel. God, that as they begin to speak, even though maybe they don't feel equipped or they feel qualified, God, that they would speak clearly the word of God to the people that are around them. Father, I pray that they would be a light that would shine in the midst of darkness. And I pray, God, that they would begin to take steps today to be obedient to the original call, Lord, that has not changed. Mm -hmm. Father, bless every listener that's listening right now and empower them with your spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Chris, thank you so much. I would love to have you back again another time. I would love that. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.